Sony has a long history of innovative products, from the Walkman to the PlayStation and beyond. Today, we talk with their lead experience designer, Andrea Piki, about how they're creating the next generation of devices with a unique and flexible approach to the design process. This is Design Driven, a podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everybody. We're super excited to have Andrea Piki with us today. He is the lead experience designer for Sony Mobile. He has been all over the world. He's been at Apple and MIT. He studied at Stanford, and he's joining us from London today. So, Andrea, how are you? I'm very good, Jay. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you could join us. So, to get started, can you give everybody an idea of your background and what you're doing at Sony and just kind of a little bit of insight into the projects that you're working on over there? Yeah, sure. And and my background is uh, cognitive psychology, then I jump into uh, computer science, and then I put everything together uh, studying human computer interaction. And with Sony, I'm working in a in the team that actually develop the artificial intelligence services across the Xperia ecosystem that right. actually encompass yeah, a smartphone, a smart band, and a smart TV, uh, tablets, and two nice guys call it Xperia agent. It's like Google Home. Right. And then you can put it on a table. And the other one is called Xperia Touch. It's a projector that you can put in an, on any surface and then project the Android interface on a wall, on a table, and you can manipulate it. And then there is uh, like HairPod that you put in your hair, and it's called Xperia, uh, Xperia Agent. Uh, and basically, it's just a voice companion to, to, to the other devices. So that's it's the ecosystem, and we are developing the AI services for, the, for this ecosystem. So is that um, a lot of headless interfaces, just voice and, and maybe gesture interfaces, or is it actually UIs in the traditional sense? Well, actually, it's a, it's a mixing. It's a mixing scenario because when you work on a smartphone, as you can imagine, if we can think about it uh, again, uh, the Google uh, use cases, there is a right on the market. You can have a chatbot on your smartphone. You can have a voice and some form of typing on a smart TV, but it's completely voice-based on your home appliance or, again, in the small guy you put in your hair. So it's it's a combination, but that doesn't really uh, affect how you think about it, right, how you try to solve the problems. The, the, the challenge is to, instead of uh, solving isolation every problem, to just get the holistic picture and try to understand what are the role. Because, for example, the... The, the, the hair pod you put in your hair, it's, it's accountable for a very subset of use cases compared to the phone or even the, the, the smart TV or a tablet. So it's once you just figure out all the roles, it's, it's, it comes quite naturally, honestly. Yeah, interesting. So um, how are you deciding um, what, what interface to use or, or how are you deciding uh, the development roadmap for those products? Because it sounds like it's kind of breaking new ground. So what's the process of figuring out what you're going to build? Yeah, we, we use a very uh, design-driven 
uh, approach at, at Sony and and that's why I'm excited to be here with you because we can discuss more about design thinking. But and the goal again is to create a layer on top of the Xperia ecosystem that is able to unify the the portfolio because Sony is using Android like other companies competitors. Mm-hmm. So we want to that layer is called it Sony Spice, and the goal is to really to create um, some. A unified layer, and uh, that we can use to give some personality and, and distinguish uh, Sony among all the competitors. So how we decide it really depends. It's uh, from from product to product, but the goal is always the same for every single product that eventually you translate in different sub goals according to the use case. But it's always to support the user with some proactive type of behavior. That's the direction that we are going towards. And yeah, so that that's the, the, the mid to long-term vision of the team. Yeah, interesting. So it sounds like you're building a Sony layer, if you will, on top of Android technologies to enable all of these other products that you're, that you're bringing to market. Yeah, exactly. That, this is exactly the... The angle it's uh, it's it's challenging because happening in a moment when Sony it's it's is well it's going through some well at least it went through some struggles so we can't really do whatever we want in terms of um, uh, the part that we are using for example we decide to go for a, uh, to use a lot of Google services inside the ecosystem. And and this is, has pros and cons compared to develop all our own applications inside right. the ecosystem. So we had to reframe a little bit the strategy um, in order to deliver the best business value for the current high-level business strategy. So that was another part of the conversation that we had. And that's when you start to see how design can really affect business and in a good way. Yeah, so it sounds like uh, most people would probably think of Sony as having vast resources and you could do whatever you want, but it sounds like you have some of the same constraints that a startup company might have where you need to make the most out of the uh, assets that are currently available to you. Yeah, well, once you define your assets, you will always navigate in in a context of some form of optimization is required. Because if I give you five, you always try to be around five, right? Because you want to get the best and use everything you have. But if I give you 10, you will, you know, re- replicate the same, the same, the same conditions because you try to get even more with the resources that you have. So does it really matter if you're a big company or a small company, you always try to push the boundaries of what you have and what you can get from from your resource. But Sony now is divided into Sony PlayStation, Sony Mobile, Sony Entertainment. So it's it's went through uh, um, restructures and the part where we are is Sony Mobile. So yeah, so it's, uh, it's, you you never you never get everything you want, right? Yeah, so, of course. So that's probably the bottom line. What I'm trying to say is that doesn't matter if you have billions or millions or hundreds, you always <laughs> hit you know the the, the 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 upper limit of what you get, and uh, so you will have to to 
find some workaround to just optimize your resources. So yes, in, probably in a big scale, we live the same struggle of a small startup. Yeah. So can you talk about how you go about trying to maximize those resources? Like what tactics or or uh, methodologies are you yeah. using to make the most of, of what might be a limited set of resources? Yeah, sure. And we use design to do that because we look at design as a business tool um, that you can use to solve business problems. Well, the, the axioms that we, we all start from is that business values equal customer value. So we, we, don't, exactly. believe in, we don't believe in deliver business for the sake of it, right? We want to say, okay, if we stay focused on the user, if we can deliver some value to the user, we will be able to build a sustainable business around that, that fulfilled need or needs, right? So that is something that we have to say before, you know, moving on in any area of the design thinking. But we use design to do that because design, it's a wonderful tool that you can use, for example, to mitigate costs. Um, I'm not a big believer in, uh, well, we can release something on the market and just collect feedback and, uh, and then event, eventually pivot and, and change the direction. Of course, we can do it, right? But I have the feeling that in many environments, the people, they take that approach as an excuse to skip a lot of the things that they can do before the delivery phase. I can understand if you're a small, a small, very small startup and you don't have a clue about many things, you can release and then collect. But when you work for Sony or another, another big company, you don't really have the luxury to say, you know what, Jay, Let, let's release this product. Let's see if the people, they just start to write very bad reviews. And, right. And then eventually we, we change it, right? Because probably the VPs get fired or maybe yeah. the, the chief marketing, I don't know, the chief whatever product is getting in trouble. So we can't really have that that strategy when you work on You have to think about the brand. That's what yeah, I'm especially to say. if it's so, a physical product because you've got manufacturing costs and supply chain and all of the other things to take yeah. into account. Exactly. So it, even the life cycle is completely different. So it's not just about release another uh, things in the in the Google Play on the on the App Store, right? That it takes right. 20, 24 hours, right? Yeah, yeah. So you release the wrong phone, you you are done for good at least for, for you know ten months, one year. Right. So uh, that's something that we don't just have the luxury to do it, but we don't need it because we have design, and design can do a lot of things. One of the things it can do is to mitigate cost because we can deliver, if you think about it, 360 degree. And we, we can use design to, to cut or at least identify the right direction and then create a reduced funnel that we can follow, right? We never be a straight line. Even if we design, because that's life, that's the nature of what we call it wicked problem, right? Something right. That, a problem that is ill-defined. We don't know the solution until we look at that. We stare right in the eyes. And a lot of the time, we don't have a stop moment like in a technical problem. So we always have to iterate and improve the current situation. But even in this case, Design can avoid a team on pointing in a completely opposite direction compared to what eventually will be the, the optimal or suboptimal uh, solution. So that's how we 
optimize what we have. So we we structured the team, the people, the and the processes, and of course the places in a way that um, we can get the best from the design thinking, and 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 that's our main approach to reduce cost, uh, answering your question, but also to get other benefits. Maybe we can explore it later. Yeah. So what's interesting is if you're dealing with the the you know, physical products and you're dealing with things that have a long life cycle, um, you don't get the advantage of being able to put something into the market and prototest it, uh, prototype it. Um, so how are you doing that prototyping? Are you bringing users in? Do you have a small group of people that you test things with? Like, What does that look like? So uh, first of all, it really depends from the problem that we try to solve. Uh, that That detail dictates how we approach research because when it, when it comes down to research we have qualitative and quantitative right so it depends from the problem we start from first from quantitative and then qualitative or vice versa mm, right. most of the time when we have to deal with well with wicked problem we we prefer to start from qualitative because as we say we we, we have really no idea about what the solution will look like so um, we have usability labs and for for the qualitative we like to interview people again from from the qualitative we try to collect a lot of different quantities type of data from analytics when we when we have to inspect how a service is performing or when we want to look at sales or what we want to work or look at any other type of quantitative KPIs, right, or the variables that we use to identify uh, a type of performance. But mm-hmm. and short answer is that we invite people. We believe that if, if you don't talk with people, yeah, you don't really go anywhere because right. we know that we, we we have to go for the why most of the time before the what, right? So it's that's what we do. We try to connect in many different ways. And the good things about working on a combination of uh, service and product is that it gets interesting because you have the opportunity to go outside and look at how the people they use the, the devices so that's fun. that's it's amusing things to do for the team it's not just you know a service uh, digital service that you can uh, replicate pretty much the experience everywhere even right. if the surrounding environment is not really the same but at least it's 80 percent and one is you can optimize the money that you have because in house is cheaper than going out so, but basically, uh, we combine qualitative, quantitative in a smart way. Depends from the sol- the problem that we have to solve, and we combine in-house and external observation uh, to just try to understand the the next step. Because usually, it's always about the next step. You can really plan more than a few steps ahead. Right. So, what's the the sample size? Are you talking to five people, fifty people? Yeah, we know the, the old rules, right? So they say the five people, you get 75%. But it's right. It applies better to to digital services or digital interfaces. When you have to explore um, uh, pure qualitative attributes, it's a little bit random. So and So we can apply that role. And the five people, and actually we use that five five people roles, and it's nice because it fits an entire morning, and then we can use the afternoon to 
just discuss the findings and uh, eventually the next step. But when it comes to um, some um, some unspoken and hard to articulate things, and five people they may may not be the, the right numbers. Yeah, I'll give you an example. And you use the phone in 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 a, in, in a certain way, and it's really unarticulate way of doing things because maybe, I don't know, you have a disability in your hands or maybe because, uh, I don't know which, 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 what is, what it may be the real reason, but imagine it's a disability in your hands, right? And you never thought about that your design is not really not optimized because it's not the average use case, but at least have to be able to support some form of inaccessibility or disability depends right. from the device that you design. If you just pull five guys from from the set of the people that you selected, the, the chance that you get someone with disability is quite low. So in that case, you really have to go after its a specific sample size, and you have to be aware it's not something that you solve j- randomly just because oh we got that. This is just a fluke. If it's happened, it's it's happy days for everyone. But sometimes when we talk about a very small detail, it, uh, um, well, um, a well thoughtful process is required in order to uncover those small problems. But this is just the edge case. In general, we put together a good combination of qual and quant in-house and external observation to get the findings that we need in order to move on. Yeah, so it's interesting that you mentioned um, accessibility issues. Um, do you do anything specifically with accessibility? I mean, you, obviously, if you just call five people at random, the chance of getting someone with some form of either physical or visual impairment is probably pretty low. But could, do you um, get specific groups of people with different types of impairments and test things? Yeah, if we want to, if we want to address those things, that's the only way to do it. So it's, uh, but usually we we. We rely on software for the accessibility, and there is just few things around accessibility when we design hardware stuff. Um, it can be a button, can be something else, but uh, the, the latest design is really is really minimalist when it comes to sure. You know, Physical. Well, and, and I guess you could rely on lots of history of product design at Sony yeah. to to know button sizes and placement and things of those things that that impact physical impairment, uh, visual and and kind of more of the the screen type moving around things on a, on a, a yeah. digital UI is a little bit more uh, challenging. Yeah, there is a lot of knowledge in the company, a lot of great people with oh, huge experience. So it's, yeah, you're correct. That's something that we always do. And that's why we never start anything without a proper investigation, uh, both internally, externally, because, again, there is a lot of great people. And sometimes they are not where you are located because Sony, when we talk about Sony, we talk about, yeah, there is London, but there is Lund that is basically the European HQ. And the reason because it's loan is 10 minutes, 15 minutes from Malmö in Sweden. Because yep. what what today is a Sony Mobile, in the beginning was Ericsson, Sony Ericsson, and then became Sony Mobile. Right. So it's it's really yeah, a Swedish company. Well, now it's Japanese. And then, of course, you have Japan in Tokyo in the HQ. So 
Well, uh, it's, it's, it's the challenge and inside the challenge, but yeah, it's also the good part. Yeah, so can you talk a little bit about if once you identify a challenge that you want to solve and you've identified kind of what your hypothesis is and you've started kind of framing what questions you're going to ask, can you walk us through the rest of that process? So once you've started to collect some research, like what does the iteration and prototyping phases look like and, and with the different people on your team? Yeah, that's good. Um, give me the chance to just share with you um, something that I, um, well, something that we do and, and started from some investigation we did um, um, in my team years ago. And I didn't see a lot of people uh, working like that. It works very well for us. So it's it's good that I have a chance to share it with you. So basically, think about the, the multidisciplinary team. And we, we, um, we asked to that team, to behave according to different state. One is the one is the thinking mode, and is when we explore the ideas. The other one is the delivery. So, the mm, things that doesn't happen in other well, it that's it may be common, but in the way we do. So basically, the same guys there are basically the same guys. So think about uh, can be developers and it can be uh, depends what you have. You, we have something called an experience planner that actually is the product owner, but we like to reframe the role to give the right feeling and. Uh, so we use the word to. to so help you the call people. your you call your product owner an experience planner. Yeah, because we believe yeah, like that. that. Word, yeah, the words um, are powerful, and uh, the words can affect the perception of your word. So if I call you experience planner, and when you have to make a decision, and you put first. Um, I don't know cutting corners be- because of the sake of delivery. So it's that's create a different type of conversation. If you look at yourself in the mirror and say, "I'm an experienced planner," instead of um, "I'm just a product owner or a product right. manager," right? And that's why, for example, we don't call it um, front-end guys. We call UX developers or UX experienced prototyper, experienced developers, because we we want to help people to just reframe their word in a good way, not in a bad way, in a way that's easier to put design at the center of any decision. So basically, we have this team, and the very same people are in the thinking phase, and the very same people in the delivery phase. It's not like that you have a group that are thinking about something where, for example, the developers, they just give the feedback, and then when you switch to the delivery, maybe you start your sprint, you have the design doing something else and then the developers doing their job. So probably the best way to to give you a feeling is that we we never have continuous sprints because of course you have the thinking phase and then the delivery. This is something right. that doesn't happen. Even in Sony, there is a lot of places when you have a more formal and standard way to apply in Scrum, for example, we continue to sprint. But what we want to do, we want to we want to engender the design thinking design and the design doing phase in, in a good way. And we don't want the delivery practice to take over um, on the other phase. So you see those guys, they, they, have, they have a problem and they get a problem from somewhere. It can be, well, the product can be the, the manager in line, can be the CEO. 
So that team has a problem, and then the first thing is it try to define the problem domain in many different ways. As we say, it depends if you need research. And most of the time, if it's a wicked problem, you need research. If it's technical problem, you can look back in the past and try to understand how to replicate the solution from other teams or, or other other uh, or the past experience in, in the company. So once you come up with an hypothesis, you connect with the user if you didn't already because it's a wicked problem, so you did your research in the beginning, and you start to elaborate your hypothesis, and you start to give form to your hypothesis. Now, the way you give form to the hypothesis, the, the, the bare minimum that you need to just get the answer, because you have to look at the prototype mm -hmm. at, it, as a way to ask a meaningful question to someone, right? Because right, right. And that's something that I love about the industrial design, because they can't skip that phase because if you want to build a phone or if you want to build a chair right the only way to 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 get a feedback is to build a chair right you can have a sketch but this is a design ish conversation you can't really show a sketch and about a phone on a chair to someone and say do you think it's comfortable I mean, yeah, you can't. You, yeah, you can't judge a, a three-dimensional physical object by what you see on a piece of paper exactly so we're trying to bring that approach into the digital space. So we never discuss any idea without some physical manifestation of the hypothesis. And of course, sure. it's a, if it's a digital product, it's inside the, a physical object. If it's a physical product, it's the guy itself, right? The manifestation of, of, of the product itself. Right. So once you get that, 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 that feedback, you decide if it's a, it's a, you have enough degree of confidence to move on or to, or to pivot. Of course, what, what I didn't say is that first you want to diverge and create as much solution as possible, and then you need a good way to converge and, and make your selection before you know move on into the prototyping phase. But that is a quite plain way to apply uh, design thinking. There is nothing new here. The the novelty and the things that I like to share with you is that the very same group of people is 100% present in the thinking and in the delivery. It means that right. there is the, the thinking phase, the developers, they, they are not working in, in the sprint. So right. there is no there is no CTO or another guy that say, come on guys, the bird down chart is sucks. You have to deliver the points. Because we don't care about the points now. Because, because Agile, like any other Agile methodology, Scrum, and is based on requirements, while design right. is based on hypotheses. So you can't really move into delivery phase until you have some solid degree of confidence about an hypothesis that can be translated into a set of requirements. They are defining as a given product or a given solution, right? So that's something we want to avoid. So, and you have to have the heart to just implement that process because if you imagine you go, Jay, you're going into, a, a, you are a consultant, you go into a company and say, okay, we want to bring design. And you start saying things like, oh, but you can't start the sprint because we now we have a hypothesis and what you want are requirements. Yep. We can't really do that. The, I'm yeah, you won't sure. be a consultant there very long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. So yeah. the novelty and uh, in in this approach is 
is in the way you use the people and the ways you demand different things to those person more than the process itself, because this right. is something that can happen pretty much everywhere. But how you embed, or probably even better, even better way to frame it, how you use development to support the design is completely the opposite of what many people are trying to do. Use design to, to, to support the sprint, the development process, right? right so we exactly. do quite the opposite. And it's not just because we want a world ruled by, ruled by designer. That's not the case because a lot of the, the, the most brilliant idea, they come from developers, they can come from pe- person in the marketing. It's because design is how something works at the end of the day. It's not just how something look like. And and this, if you like, we can discuss, for example, why I don't believe that design thinking is a good way to frame what we do and why I believe. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear that. So, yeah. so, so first, I, I think it's interesting that you bring everybody in the team into the, what, what you're calling the thinking phase. Yeah. Um, so a couple questions on that real quick. Is that how long is that thinking phase? Is it, is it time boxed in any way or is it a little bit more free form? So any, well, that's, again, it depends from the product. So in, in a very edge cases, there is no time box. That's the case for, for example, imagine uh, you want to say, I want to reinvent the smartphone, or I, I'm working at Apple, and I want to create or design the first uh, touch device, right? You can't really time box that that process because you don't really know what you're talking about. It's very, very uh, complex to just, you know, uh, get right. a, a solution. But but at some point you have to you have to get back into the active development phase. Yeah, yeah. So this is just the one percent of the cases. In ninety percent of the, the 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 cases, you have to to time box what you're doing and. One of the reasons is because when you work in design constraints, creativity can thrive. And it, we also know as a designer, Jay, that is, is also better for creativity. If you put some boundaries, you don't have to lose everything. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's a chaos. But so there are time boxes. We use different approaches. And a very simple way to do it is to have different type of design sprints, for example. So and you can have the plain seven days and can be seven, uh, five days sprint for a quite complex um, problem or question to answer, but can be three days, can be one days. So imagine one, let's say one, three, and five are your three options. You have your design sprint, and then you have maybe th- three sprints, three in development sprints when you deliver that part. Or maybe you can have two design sprints and then maybe just one, because right. let's say the development team is just creating a prototype or got a good solution, so they're working on the delivery. So maybe there are more sprints. So it's 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 not wrote in the stone, but the idea is to time box into one, three, or five days design sprint, and then move into n cycles or development or Scrum. We use Scrum in order to deliver the solution. In that phase, what we didn't say before is the design team spent the vast majority of his time supporting the development. So his work and for it can be an implementation of the guidelines or maybe supporting the developers 
uh, in, in, the, in the QA phase. And that's why I say the entire team switch to development mode. It's not the design to just exit the room and work on another problem because that's his team, right? It has right. to be present at that moment that have to be the, develop, the development phase or the, sorry, the delivery phase. So that's pretty much what we do. We try to use that sprint design sprint approach because it's simple, it's, it's well-defined. A lot of people, they know that already in the, in the company, so it's easy for us to evangelize. It. And at the end of the day, it works very well. So, so it's our needs. Yeah. So it sounds like it's, it's a bit flexible, obviously, depending on the question or the problem you're trying to answer. So it's a little bit flexible. You might have one thinking phase and two delivery phases or three thinking phases and then four delivery phases. It really just kind of depends on the complexity of, of that particular problem and where you are in the entire process. Absolutely correct, Jay. And the yeah. reason is because the entire team is focused on delivery as solution, right? So right. I have to be flexible and have to be able to to make the, the right decision in, all, in order to deliver the solution. It's not about just about how many design sprint, how many delivery right. sprint we yeah. have. It's just we have to deliver that solution because that's what we are well, – well, I want to say what we are paid for, but, well, we know that how – designers we, <laughs> yeah, we, we don't look at works. the word that way but right yeah if we want to be well with a little bit more cynicism is why we are you know paid for so yeah that's that's that, that's the job that we're supposed to do so mm-hmm. i think the takeaway there is don't put the process ahead of the um, entire or, or instead of the um don't put the process in front of the objectives that you're trying to achieve and and don't let your process ruin your product absolutely so it's the process like the discipline like the mindset and like many other things is just a tool that you use as a, as a human being to to solve a problem and in our case to deliver some some value yeah, and, so and sometimes, people. just like with tools, you, sometimes you need a small screwdriver, sometimes you need a large screwdriver, or you need a, a different type of tip on the screwdriver to make uh, to, to get the job done. Exactly. Yeah. Another example is, as we said, imagine you use the team to just create an, a quite high-fidelity type of, of prototype. You don't need to start a sprint. You can even use Trello because maybe you just need to work three days so why start the sprint, having the planning and then the retrospective and the, the, all the ceremonies that you get when you, when you right. in, implement Scrum, right? Just yep. use Trello because in the very same way I design and say, why should I have to build an app if what I need is just a paper prototype to get my answer? In the very same way, the developers are, um, are asked to just come up with the right delivery process in order to achieve the goal. Yeah, and that process can be very different depending on which goal you're trying to achieve. Correct. So, so a lot of the um, the the burden on design leadership is keeping that flexibility. Yeah. And making sure that your product, that your process can be adaptable. Correct, and in, yeah. and in a way that. I have a friend that I like to frame it is that the design leadership is how to the team to navigate the ambiguity that comes 
when you want to solve wicked problems and ultimately deliver premium value. That is, again, that's maybe this is a story for another conversation, different between premium and non-premium value, how you deliver the premium, what are the tools they use to deliver premium value. That's just the food. And how do you measure that? (laughs) Exactly. This is a food for another story. But Yeah. yeah, that's pretty much, I totally agree with you. So something else you touched on earlier was yeah. kind of this this um, alternation between divergent thinking and convergent thinking, and that reminds me of uh, some of the the writings of Edward de Bono many years ago. Um, so can you talk a little bit about the benefits of of those two approaches and um, and how you see that help solve problems? Yeah, sure. So the uh, diver the two type of thinking they belongs to the the what we call it the thinking phase or the design thinking process so it's when you try to diverge and come up with as much solution as possible because it's true that if you want to have a good idea we know that you have to get it many ideas but what the unspoken part is that the team build on top of other people's idea, their right. next idea, right? Because right. maybe I say something that got in, I don't know, uh, uh, right direction, and then you say something that goes in the left, and you just reframe what I was thinking and say, oh, right, I'm going to steer to the left direction and come up with another idea. It's not just the plain quantity that 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 solve the, the, the problem. is that I say something that doesn't make any sense, but maybe triggers something in your head, and then you say something back to me right. that, that probably, Jay, I did completely disagree with, but, well, not totally. I believe what you say is right in that sense, and I come up with something else, and that helps you to clarify your thoughts on something else. And maybe even in, in a big way, at the end of the day, nothing works. But most of the time, nothing works today for this problem Then we can reuse in the future. That's why it's important to, to build and track all the, the thinking activity of, of a team. Case in point is that the Apple, they designed the tablet before the, the phone, and then they just bring back the tablet years later. Right. And in the very same way. But the goal here is to just have explore the thinking more than create many, many, many ideas. And this is something that requires brilliant people. Oh, oh gosh, that, that's the, the, the most difficult part because the words that you use affect the way you think and the way you steer the conversation. Mm-hmm. Imagine imagine I'm, I'm, I'm your leader in the team, Jay, and I, I can say to you, look, we are working on... The, um, the new Xperia phone, and we want to design a new case for the phone, right? So I ask you to design your case. You go back to your desk, and you start to design a sketch or whatever, maybe in the team as a, as a standalone task. That's not important now. But you come back, and you show me a lot of different case for, for, the, for, the, for the phone or maybe for the laptop, right? But think about it if uh, in another, in a parallel world, you have a leader that comes to you and say, Jay, I need a new way to bring the smartphone with me. I'm asking pretty much the same thing. You can, you can interpret it as, well, I need a new case. But maybe you can 
you can interpret it in, in a completely different way for, for the reason that I framed the, the challenge in a more open way without give you any type of boundaries, like I want a new case. I just ask you, Jay, I need a way to bring the laptop with me. I need a way to bring the phone with me. That doesn't mean that it's a case, doesn't mean that it's a bag, doesn't mean anything, right? I give you a better chance to explore many different options in your process as a right. single well, person. Well, it seems like the team. seems like the real question there isn't whether you need to bring the device with you. The question is you need to bring the ability, uh, the, the, um, the capabilities the device gives you along exactly. with you. That's, for example, it's a very good way to, to frame the, 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 the challenge. But again, if I, if I say I want a new case, I already killed oh, 90% of, of the good idea that you can come up with. Because uh, even if I don't want, I frame your creativity inside the case. of. If you come right. up with something that is it's, it's innovative, it's just a fluke. Or you are so brilliant that you struggle so much to kill the cage, the mental cage that I, that that I put you in, and you just broke the cage, and you just come up with a completely different approach. But again, as a leader, I, I have to put in the best possible uh, environment to 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 do your job. I don't want to put you right. Extra so you have to frame it in a way that helps encourage that creativity instead of trying yeah. to box it in. Yeah, I have to make your life easier, right? Not harder. Right. So it's uh, that's that's the the the, um, the values behind when divergent thinking, right? And then right. you have the converted at that phase in that moment. You need a strong uh, vision because you can't have a strong goal because again, goal is something that you plan in details. And, but you can't when you have a wicked problem. So you need a vision, a, a, a guiding light that you can you can use to just um, reduce all your options. And then you also need a way to mitigate group thinking. One of the things mm-hmm. is, is dot voting, it's Zen voting. It's just a way to get the best of vertical way of thinking, but at the same time, get the best from the cross communication that can happen in the same room between people. So, and that is are the challenging part of the convergent thinking because you have five guys, you wanted the best idea from those five guys, but at the same time, then you need a way to just see those guys communicate. So, in the very same way, like the thinking and the delivery, you need those guys switching between vertical thinking and then group thinking. And in order to see these things happen, you have to put in place a process or a meeting structure or a sprint structure that support this different way of communicating inside the team. So that's right. in, in a nutshell um, what we try to do. But probably it's if you have a little bit or more time, we, we can discuss the design thinking issues that can, it's, uh, can open a lot of doors or 
can bring something on the table for the people that are listening to just uh, comments and bring their point of view. Because I believe that we all know that design thinking is, at the end of the day, is just human-centered design, right? That's yep. what happened. It was dedicated. It's, it's just the most recent label that we put on this process we've been using for a very long time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and the last of us that did that was Debbie Kelly that just reframed the user-centered design approach that he used at IDEO, right? Right. So, any any served very well our purpose in the past years because look, now we are here talking about design thinking. There is a lot of people working on the project management, listening to this episode. So it's a huge achievement, right? Something that was impossible to even imagine 10 years ago or 15 years ago. But I believe that now design thinking doesn't help um, us to achieve what we want anymore. And the reason is because when you have to bring design thinking inside a company, the the design world, the, the thinking world, they are working against what we want to achieve. I'll give you an example. First, if you want a design thinking uh, uh, adopted across the entire company, for the for this simple reason that you call it design thinking, you get a lot of people pissed off, like uh, developers, that they say, "I don't want, I don't want to be a designer, and I don't want, I don't need a design thinking to just solve my problems." And in and they are right in in some forms, because what they need is the it is the engineering thinking that works in a completely different way, right? So it's about isolating variables, yep. getting requirements. So that's create a barrier between you, for example, and your IT department if you try to evangelize and bring the design thinking or what design thinking is inside that department, because the people say. We don't want to be a designer. We are just IT guys. So right. what, what I ask to those people everywhere I go and every in every content is to be human-centered. I never ask them to think like a designer, even if it's the same thing, right, at the end of the day. But I never frame that way in the very same way that, do you remember, depends how you frame the question yeah, and affect depends, the results. Yeah. So yep. I, I ask to developers, be human-centered. Instead of embracing design thinking, that is something that creates an instant reaction, a, a pulling away reaction. So be human-centered. It means think about the consequence of your coding activity in terms of user. What is the value that you deliver? How your code will affect positively or negatively the, the people's life? And if you don't know that answer, it's your responsibility to connect in, in some way with them, right? So if you put it, you frame it in this way, the people that say, of course I want to understand what is my impact, and what is my coding is creating in people's life. But if I approach the very same person and say, you have to think like a designer, you have to use design thinking, I guarantee you it's not going to work. Yeah, it won't so, work. Yeah, that's why, one, is the just the design world. And then is the thinking, the thinking world that we all know that the first thing that we have to do when we join a team as a leader or as a consultant in house, if we have to bring the design practice in that place, we have to, we have to create trust because in the very same way, it's just about relationship. Doesn't matter if it's a romantic, if it's a professional, it's about human beings, right? So it's you have to create the trust that you need 
in order to engage people, to see people losing up a little bit and get what you want and and bring the value in their life. But right. for the very same uh, uh, reason they use the word thinking, that reminds them the, the, the preconcept that design is just about thinking about things, talking about things and never delivering. But what we need here is delivering. And then if you spend a lot of time design thinking about something, we are wasting time because we have to deliver. So again, using that word, which, which I love, I love design, I love thinking, and I love design thinking together. But I have to be honest with myself and say thinking doesn't help me to achieve my goal. Because design thinking in reality is design thinking, design doing, and design environment. There are the three pillars that you have to bring in some place and ultimately in some minds in order to to see change in behavior. So if you mm-hmm. say that design thinking is just design thinking, the people that never get to the point and say, oh, but it's also design doing. Because we know that because we are designers. But the other people, they don't know that. So again, I never say design thinking. I say be human-centered and behave and do your job in a way that you are able to explore all your ideas in your thinking and then do your stuff applying a human-centered approach that it's exactly design exactly. doing in an environment that help you to to do what is required and that is the design environment but i never use the design thinking word because as I try to explain, it just doesn't help the cause. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if you um, follow Jared Spool or not, but there was a, a kind of a Twitter fight that happened a few weeks ago where he said and correctly said that anyone who's involved in the design process becomes a designer, whether they're involved um, intentionally or whether they just come in and provide their feedback if anyone who has any kind of influence over the outcome of a product is essentially helping to design that product. So unless we engage people intentionally and give them a framework to work within, other people from outside what we think of as the design group or the people on the design team um, can easily come in and say, well, no, that won't work because accounting is going to say this or because marketing is going to say this, and they've just influenced the design in a way that wasn't intended. So uh, by bringing them in, by inviting them in, and by not using language that um, pushes them away, by saying, hey, look, we're all on the same team here, and we're we're trying to achieve this result, so let's just give it some thought and think about the user first, then we can achieve an outcome that's actually yep. much more desirable. Completely agree. I remember that post and 100% agree on what Jared said. And it, it's true. It's true. Um, an, an example is that, that we didn't say it is that design thinking, we say that design, the practice is composed by design thinking, design doing, and design environment. And this is something that I, um, I presented a couple of weeks ago in Istanbul in one of my talks. The video will be available quite soon, but you can get the slides in the meantime. But And I presented um, 
introduce, probably it's better, a framework to scale design inside a company. And basically, you see design thinking when the people, they think and they connect, they empathize with the user, they connect with the customer base. This is the practice that you can scale in the very same way across the entire company. Doesn't matter if you work in marketing, doesn't matter if you work in HR or even in finance, you can always apply the very same thing. So you connect with the user in a qualitative or quantitative uh, way. And this is the same. And then you have, of course, the design environment that surrounds these the other two pillars. But then you have the design doing. The design doing is specific for every, let's say, department, just for the sake of conversation. So if for the design team, you will see creating the doing is maybe create uh, a smartphone prototype or maybe an email client prototype in order to trigger uh, the, the the mindset switch and engender the design conversation. But in the marketing, that can be a different practice. And I'll give you an example. What something that we did when uh, we created a video for the for the new for the new phone presented um, in Barcelona, the, the latest Xperia. And their design doing was okay, we connected with the user, those are the value that we want to embed in this video. Okay, so for them, the design doing is not to create a smartphone. The design doing is not to uh, create an email client using Flinto or Pixate or Axure or whatever the sketch is, the tool they use in the team. It was to create a storyboard when you just prototype the entire the entire sequence, and then they create a very cheap and dirty and um, After Effects video that they show it to people, and then they say, okay, what are the, the, the emotional value that you get from this video? Are you experienced, for example, innovation? Are you experienced, and I don't know, uh, security? Are you experienced, depends which value you want to deliver with that video, right? And this is their prototype. The marketing prototype that is working on a video is just a very simple, um, after effects video, maybe shoot with the with the iPhone without even you know the, the expensive camera they use for those videos. But for the right. HR, for the for the HR is something that we did also with the HR. We had a problem hiring the young developers from the university. So we use design thinking the very same way in the HR, and then we come up with a prototype in order to attract young talents. So the prototype was a combination of a new website a new kiosk in the university, and a new FAQ section and project, pre, project presentation on the website. That's, this was the HR prototype in order to test the hypothesis that if you expose your vision, if you connect with the people in the university, and then if you present it in a meaningful way through your website, you can increase the young talent that you get in in your company. So you see, the design doing for the HR was another completely different thing. But at the end of the day, design, marketing, and HR, they all used a design practice, a human-centered design practice to solve a problem. In the design team was, let's say, the, the new smartphone or the email client. In the HR was how to get more young talent into this company. And the marketing team was, how can we deliver a video 
that embodies the value that we want to transmit to our customers' base. So, right. And, and you aligned all of those three things together to create a product that had a result that you were looking for. Yeah, uh, correct. Yeah. So unfortunately, we've run out of time for today, but if somebody wants to get in touch with you to talk about things a little bit more or uh, maybe get that slide deck you mentioned, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, so the best way is to first in my website is andreapicchi.it is my name, last name, dot IT, like Italy. And then Andrea Picchi is my username on Twitter, so they can look up for me on Twitter, is my username on SlideShare, where they can get all the slides that I create. And that's pretty much it. It's website, Twitter, and SlideShare. They can get everything about myself and contact me. Um, email, they can find it on my website. And happy to engage in any conversation about design with anyone. Oh, that's great. So thanks again for being on the show today. It's been a great pleasure. You've been very insightful. Um, and we look forward to having you on the show again real soon. Thank you, Jay, for having me. It was a pleasure. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Design Driven. We're glad you enjoy the show. Have comments, questions, or an idea that you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us on the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email. And tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcast. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, Good design is good business.